Matthew chapter 7, uh, I'm going to read from verses 7 through 11. So once you're there, let's read this together. Jesus speaking, he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will be given a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will his father give him a snake? No. If, then, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? And Jesus, we just come before you today expectant and humble and, Lord, asking that we might grow in love and in trust. May your word be spoken this morning, God. I pray that um, through the, the much needed and appreciated efforts of the volunteers and the staff and, and the work that we put into making a Sunday practically work out, Lord, that you would infuse this with your Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it's for nothing. That you would give us your guidance, your love, that you would breathe on us afresh, that, you, that this would be a, a morning of refreshment from the presence of the Lord. We need you. We love you. Help us to grow in affection. Help us to grow in trust. Help us to grow in surrender, to let go of things, or to pick things up that we've been avoiding. Lord, guide us in, in that wisdom. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Josh text this week, he's, he's sick, he's okay, he's a little sick, so he asked me to do this, and, and I love it, I actually love it when it happens, whenever you find out day of, that, or, you know, a couple days, you gotta, you gotta preach a sermon, because you, you approach a text differently than when you have a lot of time, you know, and, and as I was, I was reading over this text, uh, I couldn't help, but, you know, Jesus is saying here, ask, and seek, and knock, which is a three different levels of invitation uh, and, and levels that are intensifying with each, with each word. Ask and then seek, that's do something. And knock is this idea of, con- of continuing to do something. Don't just try it once or twice. Keep coming, keep knocking. Um, and I was thinking about that. And, and you know, if you, if you go through the Sermon on the Mount, you get this idea that Jesus is giving this invitation, and he's, and he's giving it to us as we are children, right? There's so many verses just in the Sermon on the Mount that communicate that God is our, our Father. And I, and I, I wanted to, to pause and just reflect on that for a moment. The God of the universe, who is infinitely powerful and infinitely wise, omniscient, omnipotent, that he's, that he's good, that he's not a dictator, that he's, that he's not just a dictator. He is king and he is in charge, but he's not, he's not just a commander. He's not just king. He's father. And that makes all the difference in the world, that the, the power that is holding the universe together, Jesus himself, the God of the universe, who tells the lightning when and where to strike, that tells the ocean to come this far and no further, the one with that authority loves you and invites you as a father to come and bug him. Don't just come and ask. Ask and seek. Ask and knock. Keep coming. Keep coming. 
We're invited as children. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, while he's teaching, he says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The good Father, the perfect Father, the ultimate Father, the Father that every father on earth should, should strive with sweat and blood and tears to be. The best Father. Chapter 5, verse 45 I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. In verse 48, therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. In chapter 6, when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In verse 8, do not be like them for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. In verse 9, pray then in this way, our Father who art in heaven. That our means that we are family, believers. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, they do not reap, they do not gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not worth much more value than they? Verse 32, for all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these will be added. In chapter 7, our text today, verse 11, if then you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If you're here this morning and you don't even know why, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus, if you're here this morning and you haven't been saved, this is the invitation of the God of the universe. Because what is underneath the surface here is a manifestation, it's the, it's the fruit, it's the benefit, it's, it's, the, it's the family values of, of something that has happened, something that is possible because of what Jesus has, has done. The gospel story is that God the Father, Yahweh, Father, Son, and Spirit, as one God, created out of love, created to share, created out of joy, created out of an expression of creativity, created out of an expression of bounty, and of, and of, of really, C.S. Lewis said, it's a, it's, a, it's a dance, it's a party. We were invited to be a part of that family, and we excommunicated ourselves, we sinned, and we were cut off from that family, I often think of a, of a beautiful bouquet of flowers that's been cut from the root system. And even though the flower at this very moment, when you give it to somebody as a gift, those flowers are beautiful and even smell nice, but they're, they're dying. They're cut from the vine. And that is the truth of all humanity. We have been cut from the very relationship that we were made from and made for because of sin. And God in his justice and in his perfection has to punish sin. He's too good not to. He doesn't violate his own righteousness. And so to, be integ to have integrity in and of himself, he has to punish sin. And so instead of just wiping us out, he sent one to be punished in our place, Jesus Christ himself, God's son, God in the flesh, coming to seek and save the lost. He takes our punishment. He gives us his life and takes the punishment that we deserve. And his life is overqualified for death. It's more powerful than death. His life swallows up death and destroys it. And when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other, we're born again of God the Spirit, and we become children of Almighty God. And this invitation is for you. Come and ask.
Come and seek. Come and knock. Keep coming. Keep coming. And this is what humans need the most. You know, if we're going to pray for something, we need to pray that people get saved. We need to pray that, sure, people are fed and that people are made well and that people are, that family strife is, is fixed and that financial strife is fixed. There's a, there's a million different things that we pray for and we work on as a body of believers, Christ's church here on earth. But the ultimate thing is, is, is salvation, that this isn't our ultimate home, that we're sojourners here, that we have a home, an inheritance that is eternal, it's undefiable, undefiled, it's imperishing, it's permanent, it's immutable. Jesus says in the last night with his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back and take you with me. The thing that we need the most, what Jesus says in Luke 19.10, I came to seek and to save the lost. That was his priority. Save them from sin. We might be saved from suffering or from hunger or from something like that along the way. That very well may happen. It very well may not. Ultimately, are we praying that God's gospel will go forth? It is the gospel, Romans 1.16, that is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Jesus has been drawing a line between the hypocrites and believers throughout this entire sermon. You've heard it said, don't murder. I say, don't even harbor hatred in your heart. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say, don't even harbor lust in your heart. Whenever you pray, whenever you give, whenever you offer, don't do it as the hypocrites do. Don't do it for self-promotion. Don't tithe in the box and blow a trumpet so that everybody knows what, what you did. Whenever you do good to people, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And your Father who sees you in secret will bless you in secret. Don't be the hypocrites. Don't be cut off from the family of God. Come in. The invitation is alive and well and active today. If you're not a believer in Jesus, come into the family. Repent of your sins. Believe the gospel and be saved. And God is your Father not just your king. He welcomes you home, into his home. Romans 8.16 says that the spirit testifies with our spirit that we are sons and daughters of God. And if we're daughters, if we're sons and daughters and we're heirs, and we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, we get what Jesus gets. As much as the father loves the son, he now pours that love out on you because you are alive in Jesus. So come, be a part of the family. So if we read these, these words, ask, seek, knock, it's, it's easy to, there's a, I think there's a guttural, guttural reaction when we, when we read these words. Most of the time, I think very common, we'll read these words and immediately something will come into our brain where we prayed for something and we felt like we were seeking and we felt like we were knocking and what we wanted to have happen didn't or what we didn't want to have happen did. I know that we all have experiences like this, and I'm not just regurgitating something I read from a theologian. You guys know the story of my life for, you know, to a certain extent. I was at my father's deathbed praying that I could get another 20 years with him. You know, he was only in his 60s, you know? He was too young. Lord, give me another 20 years with my dad. Let my dad meet my little girl. Let my dad be a part of our family. And the Lord said no. The Lord answered me no, and my dad died that night. And I know that, that those things come to our mind. What do we do with that? Well, we, so we're going to talk about this morning. We read these words, ask, seek, and knock, and I think because of life experience, maybe things that we've been taught, maybe, maybe just not knowing any better, I don't know, we, we, we can read those words, and there's at least two ways in which we can read them wrongfully and sinfully, um, or at least incompletely. And one way is that we can look at this and go, oh, this sounds pretty easy, ask, seek, 
knock. That's not too bad. And so then we expect, we read words like this, and then we assume or we expect that the father become, is somehow a butler or a genie, and his position and role and job is to bend to every whim and every fancy that we might have at some fleeting moment. And his job is to satisfy our individualistic and, and, and sinful hedonism. I want something Whatever it might be, and I expect you to give it to me right now. I'm going to ask, I'm going to seek, I'm going to knock, and you're going to make sure that it happens. I'll do my job, you do your job. It's a vending machine. That's one way that we, that we can read this. Or we can read this and go, well, if I ask, if I just ask, then why do I have to seek? Why do I have to knock? Why doesn't the Lord just do stuff? Why doesn't the Lord just give me what I want? I mean, after all, in chapter 6, right here in verse 8, he says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So if he's omniscient, he's omnipotent and everything else, why doesn't he just give me what I want? Why do I even have to ask? And the thing is that Yahweh is infinitely powerful. He can do anything. He can part the Red Sea. He can, he can send his perfect son to die for our sins. He can hold the sun in place. He can hold the galaxies in place. It's not that he can't. But he's also, he's also infinitely perfect. There's nothing that... He will ever do that is wrong or insufficient or improper or inappropriate. Somewhere we're not lining up with him. The problem is with us. The problem is with our assumptions. The problem is with our expectations. We can have this prodigal attitude. Give me my money and I'm taking off. It's just the, it's the wrong tone. You ever come at God like that? It's the wrong tone. Whenever kids come to their parents like that, it's the wrong, it's the wrong tone. I'm a, I got tuned up one time by a friend of mine. I was a kid. And I don't know what came over me because this was not common. I, I typically was pretty respectful of adults unless they were cops or teachers or principals. <laughs> or over the age of 35 or drove a Subaru or had one of those, those green Stanley thermoses. Otherwise, I was a pretty respectful kid. But I, I remember being at my friend's house and, and, and I was seven or eight. And I don't know why, but I looked his mom dead in the face and I said, hey, why don't you make some lunch? <laughs> And she rightfully, she chewed me, bro, right? Like, what was I doing? Well, I was asking for food, which kids can do that, but I had that tone. Yeah, you can't honor that. She, she verbally gave me a spanking. And my mom was like, good job. You should have actually gave him a spanking. He deserved that. No, no son of mine is going to talk to a grown-up like that. Our tone can be wrong. And so we have to remember this is an invitation, but we are coming before an almighty God. We are, we are coming before a a God who is so powerful that he, I mean, Niagara Falls, like he's got that going. You know, the earth is spinning around a sun 93 million miles away. He knows every single count of hair on every person's head who's ever been born. He's been moving through history. He can divide seas with the, with the snap of his, he doesn't even have to snap his fingers. He spoke all of creation into existence. We can't just come to him as, as if he's our butler. Even if we're his kids, we gotta, we got to come to him right. Because if we come to him wrong, there's something that he still has to teach us. And so he may not immediately acquiesce to every request that we have. But it's not because he's aloof. It's not because he's rude. We need to remember that we deserve wrath. We're sinful creatures. Even after we're saved, we battle with sin. Jesus says in John chapter 3, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains 
on him. We have to remember who we are and that we're approaching a thrice holy God. And we have to do it with reverence and respect and with honor and dignity and honesty and integrity. We get so caught up with what we want, we forget that it's a gift that God has even invited us to ask, right? That we can even go to the Lord who's holding, suspending the earth upon nothing. We can come to him. That's an amazing gift. Now, whether he says no or yes to your request, we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more as we continue. But we need to remember that we are fallen creatures and that we don't know anything. You ever read Job chapter 38? And I mean, Job, you know, seems to have gotten a pretty raw deal, right? And he's, you know, he's, he's talking about it. He's letting the Lord know in, in chapter 38 of Job, the Lord says to him, where were you when I set the foundations? Where were you when I mapped it out? Where were you? Do you, do you, are, are you opening your mouth without any wisdom, without any knowledge? Without, and the truth is that we have to say, yes, Lord, forgive me. We can't come to him and expect him to do anything other than to correct us lovingly if we're coming to him in active rebellion, active obstinance. 1 John 3.22 says, Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what is pleasing in his sight. There's a level to which we have to be obedient to the things that we already know. We don't know everything, but to what degree we have knowledge and insight and wisdom and understanding, we have to, we have to walk in that light. We have to daily practice that light. It's not a guarantee that the Lord's going to, it's not like the Lord's saying like, okay, good boy, good girl, I'll give you a treat. But, there, but his main concern is, are you walking, are you saved, and are you walking with me? And if we're not, that's what he has to address. Our motives can be completely wrong. James 4, 2, and 3 says, you do not have because you do not ask. And you do not ask, you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasure. So our attitude can be all wrong. We can be rebellious. Our motives can be all wrong. We can be, we can be double-sided in heart. We can be unsubmitted. James chapter 1, 5 through 7 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But you, he must ask in faith, doubting nothing, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind, that man should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, for he is, double, he is a double-minded man and he is unstable in all of his ways. And what, what these verses mean accumulatively is not that you have to be perfect or the Lord's going to ignore you. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. We will struggle with sin for the rest of our life. We will struggle with doubts. We will struggle with insecurities and anxieties and pain. That's what the entire book of Psalms is all about. But there's a difference between that, that Galatians 5.17, the, the battle between the flesh and the spirit, there's a difference between that. The sins that we'll struggle with to the day that we die are always going to be there. But then there's this sort of arms crossed, comfortable, intentional, and consistent rebellion. We're, we, don't, we don't believe in God. We're not coming to him with a right heart. We're tossed to and fro by every little thing that can happen, either circumstantially in our lives or some other wind of doctrine that we hear, and we can leave the God of the universe behind because we're actually more concerned about something else, and that he has to address. I remember in my, in my own life, you know, as, as, I was, as, as I was reading these, you know, I always, I always see a reflection of my own personal stupidity when I'm 
reading the scriptures. I remember that you guys, I've, I've told the story before, maybe you've heard it, when I was in my, young, my early 20s, I, I, was, I was a Christian, I was, I was saved, but I didn't have a lot of trust in the Lord still. And I don't know if it's because, you know, I'm an orphan, and so there's some weird stuff there, and I'm realizing now that I'm a father, uh, my little girl, Ella, she's six months old, she's the first Cornell in the history of our family, back as far as we can track in our genealogy. She's the first one to have a mom and a dad that are married and love each other and have a home and can feed her three times a day. She's the first one. So I've got all this baggage, you know, so I I don't know why I was such a hot mess, but I'm a hot mess, and my relationship with the Lord has been one hot mess after another. And when I was in my early 20s, I I had this, this, this belief in the Lord to a certain extent, but I also didn't trust him on the day-to-day. You know, it's like I trusted him with my soul, but not with my taxes. You know, it's like I, I didn't, I just had to keep an eye on him. And I, and I remember, it, this, you know, the story, I, I tried to leave Portland, and I really believe this. I really, I really believe that the Lord did this. I wanted to leave Portland so bad. I had a plane ticket to Ireland. I had plans when I got there. I had the visas and everything all set up. I had, I had friends. I had a place to live. It was all ready to go. And right before my flight took off, I ended up in the hospital. And then I, you know, I, I went through a surgery. I got my throat stitched up. Everything was fine. And I was determined to keep going to Ireland. And the Lord put me in the hospital again. He was telling me, kid, you're staying in Portland, whether you like it or not. And that lasted for about seven years. And then I tried to leave Portland again. And I ended up in the back of a cop car. And I, and, and I finally got it. You know, I was talking to a guy earlier who he was like, I want to hear more about this story. And I told him that, yeah, yeah, you know, seven years later, I ended up in the back of a police car. And he was like, and, and I said, and then I think I finally got that the Lord wanted me to stay in Portland and that he's a God of grace. And the guy was like, that's all it took, huh? <laughs> it was, I was a hard sell. But the entire time that I knew, I knew, here's my point, I knew I was actively rebelling against something that the Lord had personally instructed me to do stay in Portland. I was rebelling against that out one side of my mouth saying, I know that the Lord's asked me to stay in Portland. I don't know why. He didn't tell me. It's none of my business. But I'm not going to stay in Portland. I'm going to do everything in my effort to get out out of Portland. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to find friends. I'm going to make it work. And my efforts were frustrated along the way time and time and time again. And I pushed and I pushed and I pushed. And so finally, in 2010, he put me in the hospital. In 2017, he put me in the back of a cop car. I wanted him to bless my disobedience. And I thought that he was being a jerk because he wasn't letting me do what I wanted to do. I was not coming to him in submission. I was coming to him, hey, give me this thing so I can go spend it on my own, my own gluttony, my own hedonism, my own idolatry. Why don't you, Lord, if you really loved me, you'd bless my idolatry. That was, you know, I didn't say that, but that's what I was doing. And I want to say the Lord in his kindness and in his love, he may not, you know, you might be pushing against the Lord, and I'm not going to tell you he's going to put you in the hospital or in the back of a cop car, but he's, but he's, he's going to push back. Because he wants you to think deeper than the circumstances. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to want him. Not his money, not his blessings, not his healing, or not his. He wants you to be forgiven and to want him. There's this beautiful place in the Psalms, Psalms 119. I think it's somewhere between verses 33 and 35. The psalmist writes, guide me. He writes, instruct me. And then he writes, teach me. And then he writes, incline my heart towards you. And that's what we need. Our affections, 
our love, our greatest desires have got to be put on the Lord Jesus and everything else. Seek first the kingdom of, in the kingdom of its righteousness and all these other things will be added. Trust what he withholds and trust what he gives. We come to him arrogant. We come to him haughty. We come to him in sin and disobedience and the Lord, that, that, that hinders our prayers to the Lord's. Proverbs 28.9 says, He who turns his ear away from the law, even his prayers will become an abomination. Remember what happened to Israel? Idolatry, 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 idolatry. And prophet after prophet after prophet came and warned them. And they killed the prophets. And the northern kingdom was put into exile in Assyria, defeated in battle, killed and enslaved. And then some years later, the southern kingdom was destroyed by Babylon. And Isaiah writes of this in chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. The hand of Yahweh is not so short that it cannot save, and his ear is not so dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he cannot hear. Our sin can hinder our prayers, even if we're saved. You know, I talk about this a lot. Angie and I are covenantly bound to each other and we're going to be and we're stuck with that until one of us buries the other one we are in it to death but if i start lying and being vindictive and mean and rude and cutting and and unhelpful and lazy and that's gonna we're still married but that's going to cause friction in the relationship big time and our sins can do the same thing this one is uh for you for you married folk 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands, show your wives honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Do you go before the Lord with your arms open and then tell your wife to shut up? The Lord does not honor that. And this is often our problem. The Bible tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. First Corinthians 13.5 tells us to test ourselves, to examine our lives. Remember the, the psalmist says, search me, know my heart, O God, and see if there's any wayward way within me. This might be something that we need to do because this might be something that we're hung up on like I was in 2010 and I'm blaming God for my own idiocy. You know, it's like trying to stand on top of a two by four and then pick it up. It's just, I'm working against myself. This is a call You're invited. Come and confess. Come and ask. Come and knock. Come and seek and keep coming. But the Lord might be doing something. You're looking over here at a thing you want, and the Lord's like, no, I'm after your heart. Do you believe that? Do you trust him? Do you trust him for that work? And it's great because these these three imperatives, ask, seek, and knock, are present imperatives. It means means keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. This isn't a one-time thing. Jesus' prayer in chapter 6, give us this day our daily bread. We can come to him again and again and again. Every single day, the, the Father's heart does not grow weary of hearing from us. And he might have to tune us up, but at least you're coming to him. We can come to him every single day, knocking and seeking and asking. This is a daily prayer. This is daily work. And the question might be asked, well, if I'm coming daily, why does the Lord delay? And, you know, it might, it might be a test. The Lord might be testing your heart. He might be drawing out of you idols. There's a story that comes to mind in Luke chapter 17. Ten lepers come to Jesus and they say, Master, heal us. And Jesus, Jesus tells them, go. He says, he says, go ahead. Go on your way. 
and show yourselves to the priests. And it happened that as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, he turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. He fell on his his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus, this is a group of people that didn't really want to have anything to do with Jesus or the Jews in general. And Jesus said, were were not ten men cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was there no one found who turned back to give God glory except for this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has saved you. Ten people came. They got what they wanted from Jesus and they dipped. They were cleansed from their leprosy. They got what they wanted. Sure, they didn't get Jesus. This one who came back, your faith has saved you. This man here who came back not only was cleansed of his leprosy, but he was cleansed from the leprosy of death and of sin and of judgment. Romans 5.9 says that Jesus saves us from the wrath of God. This man received that. Much more important than a physical healing because this lasts for eternity. Your faith has saved you. So if you come to the Lord and you ask and you seek and you knock and you don't get immediately what you want, and I, friends, I know, I know, I'm not, I, I, I don't know how else to say that I am not trying to like yell at you or, or, or like I can't relate to this or like because I'm a pastor, like I'm somehow separated from this. Friends, I, I get, that's why I bring up my dad so much because that was the most guttural, heart-wrenching thing to watch my dad stop breathing. And I was praying against that. But do you trust the Lord? I don't know why the Lord took my dad, but I trust Jesus. My, my dad's in heaven. Man. You know, Jesus in the high priestly prayer said, Father, it's my desire that they would be with me where I am. Well, you know what that requires? Death. My father is with the Lord. And so I just trust Jesus in the meantime, knowing that he's not malevolent and he's not unkind and he's not absent or distant. He loves you. And if you're coming to him and you're not getting what it is that you're specifically asking for, maybe, maybe there's something else there. Maybe, maybe he's, he's testing you. He wants you to have him and not just some ethereal, temporary gift that's going to die anyways. He is the gift that never dies. His is an inheritance that is unfading and imperishable and undefiled. And he also might be showing you a great act of grace by not giving you what it is that you are exactly asking for because you might be asking for a scorpion or a stone and not even realize it. This is something that my wife and I laugh about quite a bit because the way that my wife and I met is so funny and it seemed in the moment like the Lord had no part of it, you know, because I was on my way to, I was going to jail, she wasn't a believer, I I was so mad at the Lord that I'd like thrown my Bible in the trash and the Lord did such a miraculous work in our lives she got saved, I got let out of jail, and, and, and we came together, and we got married, and the Lord blessed it so incredibly, and we're so obnoxiously in love with each other. From time to time, we'll be walking through town, and you know, I grew up here, so I, there's not a street corner in, in this city that I can't point at and tell you a story about, and sometimes I'll do that, and, and it usually involves like arson and drugs, <laughs> And my wife will go, I am so glad that we didn't meet then. I would have hated you, you know? I was asking for a wife. You know, there was a time in my life when I was asking the Lord, Lord, give me a wife, and then maybe she'll tune me up if you can't do it, you know, that sort of thing. And if I had met Angie in 2010, whoo, 
She don't want no scrub, you know what I mean? Like it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have worked out. It was an act of grace that the Lord withheld that until the time was right. Do you trust him? Do you trust what he's doing? If evil people know how to give good gifts, how much more your perfect father who is in heaven and who loves you so completely? So it might be a grace. It might be a test. But keep coming. The answer is not to quit. The answer is not to come and seek and, and beseech the Lord and whenever, something to, and whenever things don't work out the way that you want, that you're done with them, that you bail. Keep coming, keep asking, keep knocking. This is an active prayer. It's an active faith. One of my favorite stories about, about active prayers in the book of Acts. James has been killed. And this is, you know, this is if you put yourself in the shoes of these people for real, like if you really sit and think about it, this is terrifying. It sucks the air right out of your lungs. But the Lord is with you even in moments like this. James has been killed and Peter's in prison. He's awaiting his death. And it says in Acts 12, verse 6, that, that very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, excuse me, let me, let me begin in verse 5. Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. Peter's in prison, James is dead, the church is praying. Please pray. Please pray. Pray for your church leaders, pray for the congregation, pray for the church. And now that very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers and he was bound with chains and there was guards in front of the door and they were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter in the side and he woke him up and he said, rise quickly. And the chains fell off of Peter's hands, and the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals, and he did so. And then the angel said to him, Wrap your garments around yourself and follow me. And when he went out, he continued to follow, and he did not know what was being done by the angel was real, because he thought that he was seeing a vision. And when he had passed through the first and the second guard posts, they came to an iron gate that leads to the city, which also opened for them by itself. And they went out. And they went along the street, and immediately the angel departed and left him. And Peter goes back to Mary's house, and he finds that the people there were praying. Now, what I, what I love about that is that there's this prayer. Lord, you know, no doubt, help us get Peter back. Give Peter strength. Be with Peter. Lift him up. Lift up his spirits. Get him out of jail. Save his life. And then it, and then it happens. Like, there's this miraculous event that takes place. And when an angel of the Lord comes down into this prison cell and miraculously does all this stuff to get Peter out of jail, the chains fall off, the guards are done away with, Peter's able to just walk through these iron bars. What is the, like, I would have, I would have thought, like, okay, this is really cool, you're letting me out of jail, what do you want me to do? Is there a commission, is there a command? And the only thing that the angel says is, get dressed and follow me. That's it. He kicks him in the ribs, tells him, put on your shoes, put on your coat, let's go. That's it? That's like the one thing that Peter could have managed to do by himself. Just common sense would have told him, put on your shoes, put on your jacket, it's time to go. But that's what the angel tells him to do. Just do, just do that, just do, do something. And I, and I think that there's, that there's a word here, this, this seeking and knocking. You, there's something that may, maybe you've got to do. Not because we earn our salvation, Absolutely not. There's nothing that we can do to do that. But in this, in this life with the Lord, maybe, 
Maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe you should join a Genesis process. Maybe you should ask somebody for prayer. Maybe you should do something as simple as just email a pastor and get together, have a conversation. Maybe there's something you should stop. Maybe you should stop drinking. Maybe you should stop. Fill in the blank. Maybe you want a spouse, but you never ask anybody out. I tell you what, you got to do that. Maybe you don't get asked out. Well, someone else needs to stand up and make that happen. Like, like, ask people out. Apply for the job. Don't just expect things to fall into your lap. You know, I was, I was praying for a wife, and the Lord said no for good reason for so many years. And then one day I saw Angela. She was wiping down tables at work. I thought she was cute. And I said, what's up? I didn't say, Lord, hey, you know, why don't we make this happen? There's a, there's, a, there's a part that we have to, pray, that we have to play, and, and praying gets us in there. It gets us in communion with the Lord. We should be doing things, you know. Maybe you, have to, maybe you have to apply for that job or for that scholarship. Maybe you have to take a risk, take a chance, step into the Jordan River and see what happens. The Lord might be asking you to, to play a part in this process, and we might be missing out because we just refuse to do so. Because our understanding... Or our conclusion is, well, I asked, and if the Lord already knows what I need or want, then, I, then he can do it. And sometimes the Lord moves that way. Saul was not looking for the Lord whenever the Lord just interrupted his life, right? But each one of these individual considerations, you know, and that's, that's the thing, because there's so, there's so many things. There's so many considerations. Do I go to this school? Do I go to that school? Do I... Do I not, do I go to, do I move to this state? Do I go overseas? Do I, what do I do with this situation where I've got this problem financially or with a relationship? And the Bible doesn't detail every single solitary little thing that could possibly come up as a, as a, as a manifest chaos in your life because the Lord wants you to work with him. He wants you to do life with him. He wants you to come to him to trust him, to come to him seeking wisdom, come to him seeking guidance. The Father desires that you come to him personally with your problems, with your worship, with your joy, with your fears. He wants you to come to him. It's amazing if you read through the scriptures, you know, there's just enough instruction there to guide us. There's so many things where it's clear. Chapter and verse, boom, there it is. I know what to do. And then there's so much mystery still that it keeps us dependent There's enough there to instruct us, and there's just enough mystery to keep us dependent in coming to the Lord again and again daily for our bread. Do you you understand that the God of the universe who holds the sun and the moon and the stars and the oceans and the lightning and those weird little fish that they just found at 36,000 feet under the the sea, sea surface, those things, the Lord made those. He loves you. He, that, that God loves you. That God loves you so much he sent his son to die for your sins so that you could come into his presence, so that you could come before the throne boldly in a time of need, so that you could come into his heaven for eternity. Ask and seek and knock and keep doing it. And if you've got a problem with believing that the Lord's character is good, don't quit. But don't isolate either, please. Please. I did that. I left. I, I moved to Peru. I moved to Virginia. I, I, sought, I sought whiskey and women for years because I thought that will at least keep me occupied while I struggle. Friends, don't do that. That's the, that's, that is the devil's advice. Stay here. 
Come to prayer, speak with somebody, get involved, do something, actively knock, actively seek. Grow in wisdom, grow in affection. That's my, that's my prayer for you. Verse 8, for everyone who asks receives and who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. It's, it's pretty wild that here in verse 7 and 8, there's, li- listen to all these promises. It will be given, you will find, it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives and finds, and again, it will be opened to you. Verses 7 and 8. That's an amazing promise. But the question, of course, receive what? Like, this is what we were just talking about. Receive what? I may not actually get the thing I'm looking for, so what can I expect to receive. Well, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in the resurrected Christ, you can receive him. In a moment, in a breath, in the blink of an eye, you can receive him. In Luke's gospel, in his account of this in chapter 11, what Jesus says here, you know, each gospel writer adds a different detail because they are different men and they, and they recorded different things because there was so much happening at once. And Luke adds that Jesus says those, if, if, those are you, if those of you who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more your Father in heaven will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? That's the best thing that you could receive. Best thing. That, was, that, is, the, that is the best gift. He is the best gift. God the Spirit, living and active. The third person of the Trinity. He, his presence is the fruit of you being born again. Jesus says in John 3, the Spirit blows where he will. Your heart of stone is removed, a heart of flesh is given. That's God the Spirit coming alive inside of you, regenerating your heart, giving you a sensitivity to, the, to him, the Spirit, giving you a sensitivity to the Father, an affection and a love for Jesus, a belief in his name for salvation alone, an understanding that your sins put Jesus on the cross, separate you from heaven and into hell, and that that is what Jesus destroyed and invites you into his kingdom forever. Ephesians chapter 2, chapter 1 says that the Holy Spirit is the deposit. He is the guarantee of our inheritance into until we actually take possession of it. Jesus says, if you ask, you will receive. Anyone who asks, you receive. Anyone who seeks will find. Anyone who knocks, the door will be open. You can be born again today. You can have salvation today. Will that immediately make your life better here and now? Just read about the Apostle Saul, the Apostle Paul. It made his life real hard, becoming a Christian. Oh, but he was saved, and he knew it. He had buoyancy, he had power, he had faith, he had trust, he had love despite his circumstances. We don't need health, wealth, and prosperity to be okay because we have Jesus. Take health, wealth, and prosperity away and we still have Jesus. One of the most powerful sermons that I ever heard was a guy preaching, I've said this before, preaching to a group of 800 men who were in a maximum security prison for life. They would never again see freedom and even there in the dungeon, Jesus is available to them. Ask and you shall receive. Repent and be born again. Jesus is for everyone. Acts chapter 2, Peter's famous sermon at Pentecost. He preaches a sermon and, and he tells, he doesn't mix any words. He tells the people there, hey, you killed Jesus. You're actually the ones that did it. You're the ones that cried out for his blood. But you can still be forgiven. And they cried out and they said, brothers, what must we do? And Peter's response in verse 38 is repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You don't get baptized to earn salvation. You get baptized as a declaration before the world publicly that Jesus is your king and that you trust him and that you love him and you're following him with the rest of your days. The Lord wants you to follow him. He wants you to come to a saving faith 
in him and then grow in wisdom and in trust and affection and submission. The word, the Christian word is sanctification. We are molded even now more and more into the character of Jesus Christ. We begin to love what he loves. We begin to, to, to hate the things that he hates. Anyone who asks receives. Anyone who seeks will find. Or what, one, or what man, verse 9, or what man is there among you when his son asks for a loaf will be given a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will his father give him a snake? No. The Lord will give you what you need. And we all know this, right? He, but he may not necessarily give you what it is that you want because you might be asking for a scorpion or for a stone and not realize it. And in his wisdom, he withholds that. And I think here, tying in with the teaching in chapter 6, you look at the birds of the air, look at the lilies of the field, this daily bread, Lord, give us our daily bread. He cares for your physical life. And maybe finance, you know, I, I know some people, you know, talking about prayer, I can take a little bit longer to tell this story because it's the second service and no one's going to yell at me, so I'm going to do it. There's been a couple of there's been a couple of, of people just in this just in this con- just in this church just in the congregation it's just a couple people that I know about and I don't I certainly don't know about everyone but two two guys that are buddies of mine who were in a financial pinch I really a fi- like like all, like almost borderline going to be all, like evicted and put out on the street kind of pinch and I don't have time to get into the details but there was a miraculous presentation of not only money that they didn't know was there but also of a living situation and a brand new job. That, I mean, like almost like the week of, boom, all of that happened. I'm about to be out on the street. We're praying. We're praying. We're making phone calls. We're trying to, we're like actively seeking work. Can we help this guy out? What's the resources we can draw from? And then, boom, job, living situation, money in the bank. That does happen. You know, give us today our daily bread. The Lord can do that. But it isn't his number one priority. Remember in John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000 men plus women and children, 20,000 people-ish. He feeds them miraculously. You know, this was before refrigeration and preservatives. Like, food wasn't just laying around everywhere like it is today. He feeds these people. They get super stoked on them because, I mean, hey, who doesn't like a free lunch? He is the Burger King, as they say. And then they come to him for more food the next day, and he goes on this long teaching about how they need to get their eyes off of the physical bread that is temporary and dies And look at him who is the true bread, true sustenance, true food, true drink, true life that never dies, never decays, never fades, never goes away. That's what we need. He knows that you need clothing. He knows that you need a roof over your head and, and, you know, indoor plumbing and running water is a real, real plus. But what we need is him, his life, his sustenance, his grace, and his mercy. He knows that that's what you need. And he might hold something back to get you there. But isn't that such a mercy? That's such a grace. He might stop us from getting something that we want because it will save our life. You know, so verse 11, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your father who is in heaven gives what is good to those who ask of him. That's a bit of a drive-by that Jesus does there. He's just like, by the way, you're evil. And then he just keeps teaching, you know. He's t- and he's, t- he's talking, to, you know, his disciples are right here. He's speaking to his, to his followers. We are evil. It's the problem with trying to fix things with just politics or with just new 
implements of, of, of throwing money around. The, the evil in the world will always be here because our hearts are inherently evil. The problem is us. The problem is sin. We are evil people. But the Lord loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for us. He knows how to give good gifts. You know, he sent the Lord God, the Father, sent the best gift. He sent his son to die for us, and nobody knew what was going on. Nobody was expecting it. Nobody was thankful for it. Nobody cared. John 1 tells us that Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. There he was, God in the flesh, the word of God, come to tabernacle with us to save us from our sins, death, hell, wrath, punishment forever. He's going to take that into himself so he can give us his life for eternity where there's no more crying or pain or weeping or sorrow. Give us that reality, and nobody cared. Because we don't know what's good for us. We don't know his wisdom. We don't have hardly any of our own. If we get dressed and out the door in the morning, that's about as good as it gets. You know? So, friends, trust him. He sent his son. What else will he not give you? And it may not be immediately what you want. I know, I know. But do you trust that there's a good reason? Do you trust that? He knows how to give good gifts. You know, as I was writing this in this like this writing about this particular verse I was sitting I have a window that faces Fremont and I watched this there's busy busy street traffic constantly and there's this little boy who ran out into the street and his mom was standing right next to him and you know you know what she did you know stand still kiddo she blocked him she stopped him Ella, I, was, I, told this, this, I told this story in the, in the first service, and I almost forgot about it. Ella, my six-month-old daughter, she's sweet and beautiful. I would die for her, you know, but she she's, hasn't put a lot of things together yet, so she needs a lot of help. And I had, a, I had a kettle of boiling hot water, and I shouldn't have even had her in my hands, but, you know, first-time parents, you know how they are. So I had her in my arms, and I, I was pouring this 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 boiling water into a French press, and you know what Ella did. She saw that thing, and she lurched for it, and I didn't give it to her. I, you know, I didn't let her have what she wanted. That mother yesterday or the other day stopped her kid from running out into the street. We are evil people who still have the common decency to not poison our own children. We know that. How much more the father? How much more? And notice again, your Father in heaven, we have the blessing of calling him Father. King, yes. Lord, absolutely. Savior, yep. But also Dad, Abba. Abba. I'll say one last thing and then I'll, and then I'll close. Because, you know, I, again, I'm an orphan, so I, I, I struggle with, you know, I, I grew up with a, with a dad. But he wasn't my biological dad. And I didn't really think that that mattered until I had a little girl. And now I'm realizing that there's a biological connection that I just really missed out on. And we were having prayer here one afternoon, and we had the seats in the back in that U-shape, and I was sitting on one of the couches, and my wife and my little girl were sitting across from me on another couch, and Ella was like three or four months old at the time, and she was looking at all these people, kind of back and forth, and then she locked eyes with me. And she put her hands in her mouth, <laughs> like she does when she gets excited, and she went, ah! That was the sound she made. And what my heart did, when my little girl picked me out of a crowd and said, that's my dad, that's the, that's the father's heart. That's the father's heart. 
She, Ella just wanted me. She saw her dad. She was like, that's my dad. Do you feel that way about the Lord? The Lord feels that way about you. I can't describe what that was when my little girl, even, you know, we, we pray. Paul writes, we pray in ways that we don't, we don't understand. We don't know how to pray. The Spirit intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. Ella doesn't have words yet, but she went, ah, and I knew what she meant. That kind of intimacy. And if you don't get that, I get it. I don't either. I'm just now starting to understand. The Father wants us to come to him. We have the blessing of being able to call him dad. There's nothing else better that he could give us. He's already given it to us. Romans 8.32, he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him give us all things? I'll close with this. The Apostle Paul, you know, the... He was, he was Palestine's most wanted man. You know, everybody wanted him dead, and he was serving the Lord faithfully. And, and he's, you know, he's got these lists. He was beaten. He was stoned nearly to death several times. He was struck with the 39 lashings five times. He was shipwrecked. He was hungry. He was poor. He was naked. He was homeless. He, all of this. He was in prison on multiple occasions. And when you read the epistles, he's got 40-ish prayers throughout them and he doesn't once pray that the persecution would stop he doesn't once pray that maybe he might actually get like he doesn't pray to go to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse you know he 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 prays not for the circumstances he prays for the heart every single time and this is one of his one of his prayers this is my prayer for me my prayer for us pray for the church he writes this in Ephesians chapter 3 Verses 14 through 21, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, whom every family in heaven and on earth has been named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Man, even despite the sickness and the economic downturn and whatever else ails us, despite our circumstances, we might be strengthened with power through his Spirit in our inner being. Seek that. Pray for that then life can do nothing to you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're going to burn you in that furnace. Go ahead. Because I'm good. Do we love the Lord that way? Do we have that kind of trust? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength, rooted and grounded in love. Everybody wanted this guy dead, but he's rooted and grounded in love because Jesus is alive. And he was dwelling in Paul's heart. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses understanding and that you will be filled with all the fullness of God. Can you imagine having that kind of buoyancy come what may? Being filled with all the fullness of God. This is what is possible to us because Jesus came as a gift. He came as a sacrifice. He came as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, to seek and to save that which is lost, and that is us. And if you're here this morning and you are saved, keep knocking, keep asking, keep going to the Father. He loves to hear from you. It's a gift that we can go at all, right? And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I implore you, repent of your sins and believe in Jesus today. Today is the day of salvation. You may not live to see tomorrow. Jesus is good. Amen?